Welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I'm catching up with British artist D-Face. How you going, D-Face? Very good, thanks, Tom. Very good. Nice okay. to speak to you. Yeah, you too, mate. It's, uh, it's been a long time. It has been a fair few years, eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, we met back in uh, 2001 when I was living in London. Um, like back then, street art was just beginning and uh you know like it was completely new like can you um like tell our listeners sort of what it was like in london back in those days i guess the early like late 90s early 2000 was for me a time of trying to experiment away from what people saw as traditional graffiti something that i'd always been into interested in dabbled with but for me personally i was trying to experiment and push that a little bit further in terms of how it was viewed by the public and there was a handful of other people that were doing similar or had a similar thought and that sort of predominantly focused around stickers posters stencils um and that was pretty much the vibe it was quite character driven at that time um and it was london was super easy and chill and were very easy to get up in certainly east london was a very underdeveloped area there's lots of blank space it was pretty much run down and nobody really gave two shits and we were operating on a way that people didn't really understand it so you know if you run around with a can of spray paint people know you're, you're catching tags you're doing graffiti and they don't really want you to do that even if they don't care they're generally going to stop try and stop you we were putting up posters and nobody really knew what we were doing they were like oh is it fly poster what is that who cares it's a bit of paper on a wall so it was very easy to get good coverage across the city from from west london down central oxford street was easy and east london was like free game yeah that was early yeah i remember that you were getting some um some really high profile spots with with big pace ups it was uh you know it had a strong impact yeah it was it, was, it disrupts you know people weren't used to seeing it and they so they didn't know what it was and you now a big black and white poster of a weird character it, it worked you know it was it was it made people what I always wanted to do is make people stop and question what it was and their connection to it or, or why it was there. And it was for me like a, a change in the, the sort of advertising that we were kind of accustomed to and used to. Um, and because of that, you were, you know, it was an easy method to get up. Um, mm. And we could get some, we got some really, really good spots. And, you know, there wasn't a thing called street art then. It, nobody knew that it hadn't been defined. The, the word started to be knocked around, I'd say, a little bit later, 2003 maybe. People started calling it street art which I never liked. I always thought it sounded like a horrible marketing term. Um, and for me, it was it was graffiti, but it wasn't graffiti. So it, I guess it did need some form of definition, but I don't know. Street art just sounded... For me, street art were, were people that painted, you know, draw on chalk on the floor or, or did mime in the streets for change. Um, it wasn't what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that because I, like, I came from the graffiti crowd and was like, hanging out with you guys as well. It was... And all the... Um, all the graffiti writers were calling you guys like the design kids or something because, yeah. you know, the art student graph writers or whatever, like, you know, as you know, there was no term defined for it, you know. It was, no, um, and it, it seemed that those days that, that certainly with you and, and the people you were hanging with from a, very much a heavy graffiti background, people, you, you, you kind of liked it, you didn't dismiss it. And we, you know, we had all done, you know, even from my point of view, done, you know, had dabbled with graffiti at some point. Um, so, we kind of sat alongside it, and whilst we weren't trying to play the same game, we kind of understood what each other was doing, and it seemed like that division of between graffiti and street art sort of happened later. Um, and I guess that's as street art became more popular. To be fair, yeah. So how did um how did you get interested in art in the first place? 
I mean, I was always, from, from my point of view, I was always interested in art that didn't fit within the gallery environment. It was sort of operate outside those parameters. And I didn't really know what that was when I was younger. Nobody took the time to explain it to me. So I was left to my own devices to find that and discover it. And that really was in the form of skateboarding and graffiti and comics to, to a large and, and lesser extent, um, a band artwork from album covers to, you know, just fanzines that were knocked around. Um, that stuff was what inspired me. I, I, that really talked to me in a voice that I could understand and excited me. And this, the sort of galleries that my mum took me to, and she was very much, you know, what I'd call the, the old school or very traditional school of art, which was it needs to be done in oils and it needs to be a landscape. And that just didn't do anything for me at all. Um, so she didn't really respect the thing that I was inspired by. And I kind of went on that path, which distracted me hugely from school. I never liked authority. So schooling didn't work for me. I came out of school with like zero education in terms of results and academic results. Um, and went on to study photography for, for a little bit because that's what I felt was the thing I could most understand and connect myself to. And again, because nobody did really take the time to explain who I was into and what I was into. And I realised quite quickly I was never going to make it as a, as a photographer. And I managed to go on a course doing animation. And that was the first time that someone explained to me that, oh, you're into skateboard graphics. Well, that guy is called, you know, and he's an illustrator for skateboard companies. And that really was the first, that was like the, 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 match on the touch paper if you like of when i was suddenly oh shit you can actually do this thing you know i thought to make have a skate graphic you needed to be a professional skateboarder and then you could draw your own skate graphics mm. i never had the idea that you could be a professional illustrator and for skateboard companies so yeah that was the first time you know at that point i was kind of i think i was like 19 when i'd finally figured out that there was an art direction i could take that wasn't a traditional paint a bunch of flowers in a vase mm. yeah because you um you like pursued that and went and did uh, like commercial art as well didn't you and graphic design and everything yeah i, I studied a, a really cool very open i'd say it's more like fine art course but it involved more graphic design techniques it it, it was animation illustration and design but the tutor was a very open very creative guy that and it was never like a graphic design course which was perfect for me i didn't realize at the time but it fitted and ticked all the boxes that i needed um to end up doing what i'm doing now but i didn't know that at the time obviously because that's history um and then after that i got a job in very easily got a job doing illustration graphic design in, in you know large companies small and large companies and i immediately realized that that is not what I wanted to do. That wasn't what I'd studied to do. It didn't feel like I was connected to that. And I was just really doing that to, to pay my rent. I had to work. I had to pay my rent. Um, and it was, you know, gave me access to a whole load of equipment and materials that I could then use for my own work. And that sort of then reignited and instilled my own desire to do stuff in the street. Yeah. Because I, um, I remember, you know, back in those days when you, you quit your job as well, to pursue your art and I was just thinking oh man like I was working in a warehouse at the time and just going oh you've got a really good job and you're just throwing it away <laughs> but you well, also was, had all yeah. these skills you know you had like you, I remember you were screen printing your own stickers and all that and I was like just hand drawing mine and yeah I just remember you 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 had you had these skills from learning I guess from learning on the job and also studying yeah exactly I mean like I, like I say 
there's only a few people that were around at the time that, that were witness to that and you were one of them tom so hmm. you know it was in some respects people are like you're crazy you're quitting your job you get paid a decent salary and it's a, you know, it's a career job why would you quit it and and, the re- and it was as simple as that i i knew one thing had to go it was either my own work or my actual work work at that point because i was you know going home from working you know nine in the morning till nine in the evening going home and then screen printing stuff in my loft or figuring out how to screen print stuff in my loft and spending time trying to paint a canvas you know through the night going in and doing the same thing again the next day and i was like one you know both of these things aren't sustainable one of them has to go um which one is it and i like looked around in the in sort of the industry i was in and i was like i don't see many old people here nobody's really in charge of their own destiny here you're very much held to who you're working for and i don't want to be in that position i want to be you know doing what i want to do free from the restraints of, of a boss to all intents and purposes and i just thought if i don't do it now i'm never going to do it so i quit it was it was a big leap it wasn't the easiest thing to do and i stalled on doing it for a long time but it was the best thing i ever did yeah, yeah i'm with you mate <laughs> i've done the same do you, you know what I mean? We, you have to do it at some point, right? You know, it's never the easy option. Um, and to go kind of off, I guess, off the radar, isn't it? Off the grid, you know, you're getting a, a monthly wage that becomes comfortable, doesn't it? Whether it's as much as you need. It's, you know, I mean, is it ever as much as you need? No. But, it, you know, how much is it worth getting up in the morning and doing what you love doing versus getting up in the morning and answering to someone else? For me, that's priceless. Yeah. Do you think that, um, that helped propel your uh, art career and push you to go further? Yeah, for sure. You know, there was a, there was a, a, you know, looking back on it now, it's it's easier to do and look back and be like, oh, that, you know, that really helped that and that definitely triggered that. But there was a time where obviously it then allowed me to just, you know, I was freelancing for a little bit, picking up a few jobs here and there to pay for my rent because obviously I wasn't earning money, but it gave me the daily freedom to produce my work and concentrate on my work and the ideas and the concepts of what I was trying to achieve and put together a body of work, which is ultimately why I ended up showing in 2006, you know, and that took several years. It would have taken a lot longer if I was working full time, just because you don't have the headspace to, to do both. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was that was kind of like the, I guess, the sort of accelerator pedal being pushed down at that point. Hmm. Like, I remember back in those days when, um, you know, street art was becoming like a buzzword and you know, artists, artists were being recognised. You know, like there was only a handful of artists who who made it big back in those days, and you were lucky enough to be one of them. Like, um, how did that success come about for you? I don't really, you know, what people sort of ask about that, and I don't really know. To be fair, it was very organic. You know, as as you know, you were there. It's, you do one thing, and you know, it fits. You do another thing, and it kind of works, and it gets a little traction. Um, I guess for me. When I started doing the money, you know, when I was printing on to, to, to real money and then spending it, that sort of triggered a whole load of interest in my work that was outside of what I would call people who are already interested in it, people that are interested in this thing called street art. Um, and that sort of brought attention to it from a wider perspective, including, you know, like art, magazine art review, who started to pay attention to what I was doing then, which was a really big deal. You know, I didn't, to be fair, didn't realize the significance of it then. But, you know, if art reviewer, Sort of put me on the front cover of their magazine people start to pay attention in a broader context of art um and those things you know banksy got in touch and wanted to do a collaboration um i did a couple of prints with pictures on walls who were like the big fish at the time you know and all of those things were like small steps becoming a bigger leap into being able to successfully live as an artist 
Mm. Yeah, and um, like I remember you being friends with Shepherd Fairy back then as well. Like, did um, mm. like like knowing him and spending time with him in the states. Did that uh, you know, seeing seeing him go bigger and you know take it further. Did that sort of push you to sort of follow in his footsteps? And do yeah, it's definitely definitely inspiring. You know, you, you hang around. Shep came over in like nineteen ninety nine. I think it was his first show in in London, and we drove around. You know, putting our posters and. You know, this time we were doing like A3 photocopies. That was about as big as we'd gone. And, you know, Shep comes over and he's got like a six-foot poster that's screen printed. And you're like, fucking hell, that's like, how has he figured this out? You know, how has he got these multiple color posters that he's being able to put up in the street? It was, again, you know, and he had techniques of putting stuff up in the street. And, you know, he had an appetite that was, was super impressive, whether you like what he does or not. His ability to get up and his desire to get up was, was unlike anyone else's I've ever met. Um, certainly at that time um, so that's a game changer you know you're instantly like oh shit I need to step up I thought I was pushing it I'm not even close to how far he's pushed it um, so that definitely inspired me to forge ahead and you know and develop things like screen printing for myself where you know you could affordably then do it yourself and produce stuff to put up in the street that was screen printed you know before that it was black and white photocopies you know sticking stuff together you know to make a bigger poster real basic or hand drawing posters to put them up real basic stuff so seeing him and hanging out with him in you know like i say 99 and then pretty much every year thereafter um just seeing him stepping his game up and the traction he was getting from from doing that yeah i guess back in those days as well you um it was pre-internet as well so you can't really see what's happening all over the world you you got to be placed in front of you know who's doing what or actually go to the city where it's happening and then actually you know you know to be inspired to sort of go bigger and go further so i guess you were really lucky to uh to come into contact with him yeah you know i emailed shepherd he he was one of the first people to have a website and you know like you said this was really pre most companies having websites so shep had a having a website was a was a big deal you know this is when you you know to search something you ask jeeves and that was pretty much the only thing you had as a search engine um it was very very early i mean i remember having email and i think he was one of the first people i emailed and was like yo i'm i'm doing you know something similar in in london send me some stuff over i'll put it up for you while i'm putting my stuff up and sure enough he did you know email me back and send me little used to send me parcels over and i'd put his work up and so to to get to hang with him and see what he was doing was like now it's super easy isn't it you've got instagram you've got youtube you've got everything at your disposable in order to to sort of accelerate what you're doing but then that you know it was still the sort of early days of exchanging photos by post um which was lovely you know it's super cool and, and very, very endearing now um but yeah to see him doing that was a massive inspiration to me in terms of okay this is this is where i need to get yeah and um and what was it like when the uh the buzz started with the collectors from around the world and and you know wanting to line up to buy your artwork that was pretty crazy to be honest with you i'm still like amazed and surprised and like touched that that even happens you know i remember 2000 to 2005 2006 doing my my solo show and you know it, I rented a space, you know, produced all the work. I'd hung all this work. I'd lit all the work. You know, there was me and 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 a girl called Beth who used to work for me, who was she was going to run the gallery space over in the Truman Brewery. And I remember I pretty much put everything I had at that point into it in terms of 
my, all the money I had, everything, it was all resting on that show. And I just thought, okay, I've hung the show, I've done everything I can, I'm going to go around the corner and get a pint and hope that people turn up. And that was as simple as that. I'd done a screen print with, with pictures and walls to, to, to celebrate the opening. And I remember I come back from that, getting that beer and there was a queue of people and I was like walking down the queue and I stopped and I was like, oh, what are you queuing up for? Is there like a train, you know, a sneaker release or, or something get, getting dropped at a shop called Glorious, which was around the corner from where I was showing. And they were like, no, we've come for the Defoe show. Apparently he's, he's dropping a print tonight. And I was like completely gobsmacked, bowled over. I just couldn't believe that people were even waiting to come into a, a show that I'd put on. It was fucking incredible. Um, and that sort of momentum from 2005, 2006 was, was insane. Mm. Absolutely insane. You know, the collectors coming down, you know, originally it was just people that were, I, I assumed were just into the work, you know, they were just into it and they wanted a piece of themselves. And that's how I viewed art. I just sort of thought that you bought art because you wanted to put it on your wall. And then when people start coming down and start flipping it and start trying to trade it and deal it up and make more money out of it, I was like, what? I don't understand. Well, what's, what's all this about? Because I didn't know the art world at that point at all well. So I just thought very naively that you buy art to keep it. I had no concept of you'd buy it and then sell it for more than you bought it for, which now seems so logical. Back then, was a complete surprise. Yeah. It's a weird situation to be in because, um, you know, a lot of artists just are, you know, wanting to sell their art to make a living as an artist. And then, then you see people making more money off your art than you are. It's... Uh, it's a strange position to be in. Yeah, it, it sort of, I mean, I think it was quite a significant time as well because you've got things like eBay where it enabled you to buy a print and then sell it. You know, before that, you'd buy a print from the gallery, you'd keep it, and I guess if you wanted to sell it, you'd probably go back to the gallery or go to another gallery that was, was dealing it, dealing art, and try and sell it to them. You know, and that was pretty much, you, you were held to the gallery situation. Um, but eBay enabled you to buy buy it and sell it and keep all the profit so it, it gave people the everyday person the ability to to buy and trade and sell uh, along with all the forums that came at that sort of time as well where people could talk about what they had and talk about who they were collecting you know there was like a real buzz and, and excitement around buying the work the artists and uh, the finances of it if i'm honest you know people were excited about being able to make money and banksy is essentially the person that is mostly accountable for that to be fair mm. So I remember your prices, um, like you know, soaring pretty quickly. Like what, like what, what did they start at, and where did they go to in a short amount of time? I mean, they started at free because we gave it all away. You know, we did finders keepers, as as you know, and we yeah. were giving it all away because you know, as far as we were concerned, nobody was interested in buying it. Um, and then they, you know, I remember selling canvases for like 150 pound, you know, 500 pound, and I remember Mode Two saying, oh, you know, when you sell a canvas for a thousand pound, that's that's a big deal. And I remember selling a canvas for a thousand pound and being like, "Oh, remember when Mode Two said if you're selling a canvas for a thousand pounds, it's a big deal." Um, and it seemed like a lot of money, dude. You know, it's it was more than I would have expected anyone to to pay for art, and it was more than I would was prepared to spend on art. Um, so you know, when you get to five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand, which you know, I, I came from, from a family that had no money. You know, we worked for everything we got, so I see things as like a car. You know, oh, that's that's you could buy a car for the price of that painting. You know, that's kind of nuts, but that's how I look at things. So when I see when I look at my prices, and I'm like, holy shit, that's crazy. I, it's for me best to not be involved in that side of things. I learned quite quickly that 
it doesn't make for the best situation when you're knowing of the price for me it's better to not yeah i just want to make i just want to make the art sell the art and carry on doing that and as long as i can carry on doing that that's the most important thing to me when i look at the prices and start worrying about the prices or thinking about the prices it sticks in your mind yeah because i guess the main thing for an artist is is making art (laughs) you know yeah you know i've always said i've always said that i'm you know this is not this isn't a sprint this is a marathon we're we're all in this for the long term you know we're not going you know people should know now we're not going anywhere because for a long time it was called a fad oh you know that's just a fad you know it's going to die out and it's like yeah i heard that in 2003 i heard that in 2005 i heard that in 2008 and look we're nearly in 2020 you know we all know it ain't going anywhere we all know it's getting stronger and continuing to to build that foundation which is a very valid genuine art movement probably the most i'd say one of the most historic ones of of, of maybe of art time because it's the first time that art was connected globally in a way that wasn't possible before and that's thanks to the internet yeah mate it's good to hear you say that because uh you know being uh empl- fully you know, self-employed artist myself you know you come into money and then that money dries up and then you think oh where's the next money coming from and it comes again and then it's like yeah but how long will this last for what's, yeah. what's five years going to look like so to hear you say that it's like oh it takes a bit of um pressure off so thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It, people don't really understand, but you know, you never that feeling that you've explained never goes away. You know, mm. in, for me, it's it's never gone away. I'm always like, oh shit, you know, I haven't sold a canvas for a, a month, or you know, when's my next show? I'm you know, I'm still negotiating my next show, or figuring out my next show, or figuring out the next body of work, and it never that never goes away. It doesn't matter how much money you make. I don't even think. I think I'm pretty sure if you talk to Cause or Banksy maybe not now but you know i'm sure for a long time they were in the same position because the desire to produce art and sell art is weirdly sort of one validates the other which is an unfortunate but necessary situation because you know if we don't sell canvases we don't pay the rent yeah if we don't pay the rent we need to figure out a way of doing that and that sort of feeling in your stomach which is like what's happening next where's the next money coming from is always there do you know what I mean? It's it's something we've I've lived with for what now fifteen nearly more than that years, um, and I can only say that the only thing you can look at is history, history, and historically, it always makes sense. It always comes out the other side. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's the only way you can look at it. It's like okay, well, I did it last year. I did it the year before that. I did it the year before that. I did it the year before that. You know how many years do I need to look back to know that? I'm always going to be making art and hopefully there's always going to be people that buy it. Um, and, you know, by hook or by crook, we're hustlers. That's what we do in there. We, we make it make sense. Yeah. And do you, do you um, feel that you've had to sort of, um, you know, because you had a very iconic character when you first came out, but then you've branched off into different areas. Do, did you, uh, you know, have to really trust yourself to in your creativity and, you know, do what you wanted to be doing instead of trying to fall back onto what you know sells? Yeah, yeah, because you know it's easy to do that, and it, and inevitably it doesn't work. Do you know what I mean? If you try and replicate, like you know, like you know, if if you have a painting that's becomes very popular, the the danger is to just lean back on that and try and do the same thing again, and it makes the pop- painting that was popular not popular. Do you know what I mean? Because you're diluting the very thing you've done. So it's a sort of a careful balance between doing what you want to do and 
not falling back into what you think people want you to do and and for me you just have to trust in and yourself you know i i always look at it as very much like music you know your favorite bands are the ones that they produce enough of the music that you want to hear but at the same time as pushing themselves forward to give you something that you're not expecting from them um so you're not you know not not alienating your audience and your crowd and your fans but at the same time as making sure you're pushing yourself forward in terms of creativity because we're all doing this artistically because it's what we want to do so you have to trust in yourself don't you to be like if i love it hopefully someone else will love it and that's that's what i've done from day one and that's got to be the most honest thing to do now still now if i'm i'm doing it for my own self my own selfish acts to be fair um it's a very you know i think art's a very selfish act in itself so you have to just produce what you want to do and what you want to see and hopefully people will be along for that journey yeah here here <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i i'm i'm going through a similar process myself you know i feel like i've got a i've got a hit single that keeps getting uh asked to be played but i just want to make a new album getting back to your music reference you know <laughs> that, dude that's the i think for me it's the easiest way of, of looking at my at my work myself and and i you know we listened i listened to a shitload of music and you know I, a band puts out an album that i don't want to hear and i'm like oh well, i want to hear that old album and i'm like yeah but i don't really want to hear that old album because that old album's real good and i'm going to listen to that anyway um what i want them to do is give me just enough of that but then push themselves and push me forward with them and where they're going because you know that that's what you're going to look back at you know i look at it now you know I've, I've got my second book coming out you know my first book coming out was like a big momentous occasion for me because it enabled me to put down like 10 years into paper and look through that myself and be like oh yeah you know this is why i did that you know that first show gave me a seed for my next show and that second show gave me a seed for my third show and that gave me a seed for my fourth show and you know that's a thread that runs through everything so Maybe if you look at the first show and you look at the fourth show, it's hard to see where I've come from. But if you look at the ones in between, you'll see the thread and you'll see the, the, the vein that runs through them all. And that's in, that for me, that's really important because that is what is your fingerprint as an artist. Yeah. It is what tells people where you've come from, the journey you've come from. You know, they are all somewhat autobiographical works um, to a larger or lesser degree. And they should tell a part of your story in time. And that's, for me, what I'm trying to do. Whether I know it or not, when I look back at it, that's what it's doing. So, you know, I've got a new book coming out in uh, in October, November. And that, again, is very significant because it allows me to sort of look back at the last seven years, I think it is, um, since my last one, and look back and be like, oh, yeah, you know, these are all the seams that run through it and this is the order that it needs to be applied to. Um, and like you said, you, you people they only inevitably want what they haven't got. So, you know, if they all want that painting that you produced from your first show because it's, you know, the most one that became most iconic, you can't keep on trying to give them that because it dilutes that first one, doesn't it? At the same time, as I, I understand and respect that people do want those iconic pieces in their collection. But hopefully there will be more iconic pieces in, in the collection and in your body of work and people look back on that and be like, damn, I wish I'd bought that piece instead of that other piece. Do you know what I mean? It's... It's evolving. We as artists should be evolving. Yep, totally. Um, I remember, uh, I remember your early exhibitions. Even I don't know, just as long as I've known you, I guess you've always been into sort of manufacturing things as well. Like I, I remember, you know, years ago, back in two thousand and two or three, you you already had like enamel pins and you were make you were making things like products. 
Has, mm. uh, has that always been a big draw for you to to use different mediums and sort of industrialize your art as well? Yeah, I th- I th- that comes, from, I think, from two things. One, the things that I was inspired by as a kid were skateboard graphics and t-shirts and record ba- labels and record covers and the paraphernalia that went with that, you know, because that's what you could buy and that's what you could afford. And, you know, skate stickers were hugely inspirational to me as, as a kid. So it always felt very natural to produce something similar that was my, my own body of work. Um, and that's always actually excited me, you know, producing a little enamel pin badge or a T-shirt. And, and that really, I think, came very early on was, I think, I, I think Roan said it, it was like the most you could hope for was that you could produce some T-shirts and sell T-shirts. Thinking of selling a canvas was a long shot, you know, it was way out there. So to produce a few T-shirts and sell T-shirts was cool, you know, give them to your mates. It was like a nice little, you know, thank you if you if they let you crash on on their on their couch. Um, and those things I've always found to be as inspirational as a, as a canvas, to be fair, because they are for everybody. It's like painting in the street. You know, you don't have to have an art education. You don't have to have been ever have gone to an art gallery to see someone painting in the street and be like, I like that or I don't like that. And, you know, those people can, you know, then afford a, a pin badge or you give them a pin badge or you give them some stickers and it's like a nice thing to, to have. It's your direct personal connection to art. So um, I've always seen those things as, as much as art as, as anything else, to be fair. Mm. Yeah. And how, how did you uh, go about um, you know, starting Stolen Space Gallery? Like, how did that come about? They, it, that was a really early idea, which... It basically stemmed from, you know, hanging around with people like yourself and traveling to Barcelona and hanging out with like Pez and the London police from Amsterdam and, you know, everyone else in between that that was were also producing work. You know, you're producing canvases, but working a, a you know, a full time job, be that fucking washing dishes or whatever it was, whatever, you know, trying to make it as a uh, a designer or whatever else that we we're all doing at that time, that we we're also producing canvases and, and it felt like there was a place for those that should be in a gallery environment and not in the bar or not in the shop, which were the, really the opportunities that were coming to us at that point in time. And I kept thinking, Oh, you know, someone should open a gallery showing this work. Mm. I didn't think it was going to be me. I just kept thinking that it deserves a gallery. It does because the gallery world wasn't interested in what we're doing. You know, they're only moderately interested in it now, you know, slowly, slowly wising up to what we've been doing. So back then there was no opportunities at all and i just thought that it was a real shame because i saw the power of it i saw the power and felt the excitement in the in the work and the energy in the artists and kept on talking about when someone going to do a gallery when someone going to open a gallery and like i said i never thought it was going to be me and then weirdly my old boss when i'd quit my job he was really into like what i was doing and he said you know i know you've mentioned uh, talked about opening you know, opening a gallery or someone opening a gallery well i've got a space that's empty that you can have for a year if you want to if you want to try and make a go of a gallery and i was like fuck it yeah i'll do it so that was the outside institute which was 2004 to 2005 mm-hmm. um i'd already previously to that had the idea of a, of a place called stolen space which i, I didn't really know what that was going to be but I quite like the idea of what we were all doing was essentially stealing space, you know, for our own gain. 
and you know to show her own artwork so it felt like a, a good name for this movement if anything actually rather than for a gallery specifically so you know i ran the outside institute for a year learned everything about how to not run a gallery who not to have a business with you know what you need to succeed in the gallery and in you know at the end of the year closed it because whilst i saw the traction and the interest and excitement in the movement of art we were, we were showing it wasn't making enough money to pay the rent that my then boss who'd given me the place for free turned around and said that i need to start paying rent in the in year two and i was like you know that we don't have enough money or we've not made even nearly enough money to pay the rent that you're going to ask. So you're forcing me to do nothing but close it down. So I closed it down, which is a real shame because we'd had the awesome year of pretty much, I pretty much lived in that gallery space, hung every show, lit every show, tried to sell every show, got drunk at every show, you know, had some fucking crazy experiences. But bottom line is it was a massive space and there was no way we were going to pay the rent. And it was in West London in the middle of nowhere and it was not an easy place to, to find, and therefore it was never going to be an easy place to get collectors to come to, what what few collectors there were. Um, and so, you know, I retreated back to my apartment and, you know, studio cobbled together in my loft and carried on focusing on my own work, which was, which was quite a nice situation to be in at that point because, you know, my work had taken a little bit of a backseat while I was trying to run the gallery. But I really missed the gallery, and I felt like I'd betrayed the art movement that I believed in by having to be forced in a position of closing the gallery. And I really wanted to show its strength. I really wanted to show that it could succeed. Um, and, you know, I met with the guys that owned the Truman Brewery about six months up, no, about three months after having closed the outside Institute, when I had a meeting with them, they showed me around the amazing spaces they had just off brick lane. And, uh, and they were like, well, you know, do you want to do a gallery again? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to, but, I have literally no money. I'm like, I, I cleared all my debts, all the gallery debts, and it's completely wiped me out. I have nothing. And they were like, well, sorry, then we can't do anything together. It's as simple as that. And I was like, fine, you know, I completely understand. But listen, I've got a bunch of artists that I'm ready to show. I will bring a crowd to it. It will be amazing. If anything changes in your mind, if you're interested in trying to do something cool, um, you know, let me know. Maybe I can give you a percentage of the sales to try and cover the rent. You know, it's a little bit of a risk, but, there you go and they were like no 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 we're not interested and then about two weeks later i got a phone call saying you know what we thought about it really like what you're trying to do really like the artist you're showing really like your attitude one you can i'm gonna do a show and that was dave kinsey followed by connor harrington so and at that point it was stolen space and at that point it started to make sense the area was right the people were interested in buying the work it was packed out every time we did a show and that was really like what I needed to see from what we'd done for a year, which was pretty much struggle to get people to understand what we were trying to show. Um, and that was the beginning of Stolen Space as a physical entity. Mm. Yeah, because the, there wasn't really anywhere before that. It was just um, uh, the Dragon Bar upstairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dragon Bar was pretty much was pretty much it, which was great. And, it, and Dragon Bar is something that's incredibly special for that moment in time, but it needed more, you know, we'd, we'd done stuff in the Dragon Ball, all of us had, but for me, it needed to be presented more in a gallery way so it could be taken as seriously as I felt it needed to be taken. Mm. Um, and that's what I tried to do very early on with Stone Space. I didn't want it necessarily to be a white cube, but I wanted it to have the idea and the aesthetic of what would be considered to be a, a classy gallery or high-end gallery. 
Um, because the thing is, when you bring the street inside, there is a danger of it becoming a bit played. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a it's a careful balance of presenting work that is a predominantly come from the streets in a professional manner and a high enough ma- you know a high enough level for people to take it seriously. And that's what I really wanted people to do: is take it as seriously as it it, it deserves. Mm. Well, you've managed to do that, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, dude. It's I by no means wanted to go out and be a curator. You know, it's actually probably what it's been the hardest thing to to maintain and keep going. It's incredibly hard to run a gallery, mm. um, and I think it's it's probably harder now than it ever has been because social media, you know, Instagram, etc., make it incredibly easy to reach out to a gallery uh, to an artist and bypass the gallery. And you know, every artist wants to have a show in a gallery, but you know, 99% of the artists also want to take 100% of the sale of the work. And so one is essentially killing the other whilst still requiring it. It's a weird position to be in Yeah. for, a, for the gallery world, to be fair. Yeah, totally. And how, how, do, you, um, how do you see the uh, gallery world at the moment? It's, it's you know, it's, it's tough. And, I, and you know, like I say, the, the social media aspect of it has made it really hard for galleries to, to cut. And I'm, you know, I was speaking personally because I know from Stolen Space, you you have a show, you bring an artist over, you have the work hung, and, and there'll be collectors looking at the work and they walk out the door and then literally DM the artist and be like, hey, I want to buy a piece of work. I've, you know, I really like this painting. And, you know, if the artist doesn't respect the, the position they're in with the gallery, then they'll sell the work directly hmm. um, and bypass the gallery. And, and, you know, that's essentially they're killing the hand that feeds it. Yeah. Because I've thought about that because I've, you know, I've been having a lot of shows in galleries and I know that, um, you know, the commissions are high and everything. But the way I always seem to approach it is I want to do, have a really successful show so the gallery wants to work with me in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 People look at it as in the gallery is taking 50% of the of the money or whatever the percentage you're, you're working with. But actually, you could look at the other ways around is that they're bringing 50%. The work isn't worth less because you sell it yourself. It's the same price. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You're prepared to give that money to the gallery because they're going to bring the collectors to it. They're going to bring the level of polish and finish to it that it desires and requires. And they're going to introduce you to their audience and their, their market. Mm. And it's, you know, it, it's very easy for you to put on a show yourself, but are you going to be able to bring the same level of buyer, collector and finish to your own show? If you can, do it on your own. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a... I'm a fucking bastion for DIY and doing it yourself, but I also know that working with a good gallery is priceless. You know, it takes off so much of the pressure. And it also enables you to push your prices and your collectors and introduce them to a new market of where you're trying to get to, in essence, you know? Yeah. But so, yeah, it's a real, the gallery world is a real tough battle struggle. Um, and it, as an artist within it, it's an, not an easy position or place to be either. Yeah, you're on both sides of the fence, aren't you? Yeah, and you know that's never an easy one. Yeah, is it? Because I'm more, you know, the gallery is set up from an artist's perspective. It was always going to favour the artist. It always wanted to work in the artist's best interests, um, and that's always going to be the precedent for the gallery. It, it, we've never changed that. So it's very hard. You know, I see it from both sides. Yeah. So being that you're, um, you know, you're very fortunate to be a, a busy successful artist and um you know you're doing a lot of murals exhibitions and other various projects as well as running the gallery like where do you find you um spend a lot of your creative time like like 
what sort of uh, projects you're working on? Um, you know, I try not to, to be involved in the gallery. I'm, I'm not as involved in the gallery now as I've as basically as I've ever have been. You know, I'm, I've really had to st- step away from that um, just for my own sanity and, and creativity because it, the gallery can sap up so much time. And, and the thing I've always enjoyed about the gallery was talking to eyes, looking at what artists were doing, meeting new artists, and, and that's the thing that I've always, only ever really wanted to do with the gallery. I was never really it never really struck me to be like, I'm not a hungry salesman. Do you know what I mean? I'm not the guy that was out there pounding the floor trying to make a sale. That's not where I'm coming from. I, it, that's a necessity to run a gallery, but that's not where my heart lies. So from the position of a gallery, I'm, I'm, I'm very much now just helping in terms of curation of, of who we're showing, what we're showing. And that enables me to spend a lot more time in the studio and concentrate on my work. And that's basically where I'm spending my time. You know, I've got a home studio, so I've got a studio below my apartment and you know that i'm just setting that up and i've got my studio in east london where um i spend pretty much every day yeah all right d you ready for some uh rapid fire questions go for it brother all righty uh name one artist you think deserves more shine jim phillips yep definitely (laughs) simple as that yeah um, hugely, hugely inspirational. He is. He is. I know. There's a, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, grew up looking at his art. You know, especially coming from, you know, skateboard background and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's inspired so many people. But, I mean, whether that's his own desire to to not want to show or do shows, or I mean, you know, he's, he's definitely an older guy. I don't know. His health hasn't been particularly great, but he deserves the the, the utmost level of of respect in the art world, from in, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Um, what's one medium you'd love to work with? Oh, I know you've worked with a few. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm trying to think of one that I haven't worked. With. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I want to work with wood more. I really like working with with wood, and I was going to say sand, and I have no idea why I was going to say sand, but yeah. I'm going to say sand, wood, yeah. and metal. You know, sculpt, you know metals, there's something about a bronze sculpture that you just can't get past. Do you know what I mean? There's something incredible about that. For me, it feels historical. It's going to stand the test of time. And those things are really, at this point in my life, uh, we've done a lot of work that doesn't last, a lot of transient work that isn't going to be around. And I'm somewhat more interested in work that has still has a dominates public space but has the ability to last. Because hmm. yeah, you've worked with metal a lot, but is that all just um, you've been working with you know, professionals, I guess, and then just assisting them? And yeah, exactly. You know, you know, the early days, I, I did everything myself. You know, sculpted and, and made and produced. And, you know, now realise that that's not necessarily the most indicative or best way to produce your best work. You know, there's some things that I just I'm never going to get to the level of professionalism that I need to get because I demand that from myself. But I can get that if I work with someone that's been doing it for their lifetime. And that, for me, is the whole point of working with those people. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree with you because, um, you know, there's certain jobs that I've outsourced as well to, to in, enable to get my um, art done at the level I want it done. It's Because yeah. if I, you know, if I jump in a woodwork shop 
and try and make make everything myself. It's gonna have bloody nails sticking out the side, and <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean. It's gonna yeah, it's totally. like a I, home, I mean, Homer I, Simpson I, project, you know. Yeah, I think you, you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed or afraid of taking that approach. And I think all of those things are, are relevant factors in making work or working with someone that, to make the best of your work. And you know, I look at it, it, it from a very basic and very very early on. My first website was a website I built, and it was shit. You know, I could continue to learn how to use Flash and program HTML, but that's not going to be the best use of my time. You know, it's not that you can't do it; it's just that. Some things are better left to people that have honed and tuned and made that skill their profession. And, you know, one of those things for me is sculpture. Is like I can make sculpture. I can spend months and years making it. But it's never going to be as good as it would be if I had just gone to the right person and started working with them. You know, even down to when I used to do my own screen printing, which I love, completely love. And I do all my editions. For years I did all my editions. But I would compromise on those editions to get the job done. Whereas I wouldn't accept that from my own screen printer, you know, externally, that that print has to be perfect. Whereas when I'm printing it, I'll compromise on it because I just want to get on with the next thing. So there's a certain knowledge of yourself that you have to apply to your work. Yeah, totally. So um, speaking of which, uh, what's one skill you wish you had? I really wish I could sit and draw really well. You know, I wish I could draw a really good portrait. Yeah. You know, I can, I can do like a caricature funky, stylized thing. But, you know, when you see someone just, you know, with a few simple lines and some knowledge of of facial components make up a really beautiful either charcoal or pencil sketch of a, of a person sat there, that, that to me is fucking awesome. Yeah. Real simple, you know. And I know, like everything, if you practice and practice at it, it, it comes... But, yeah, it's always, you know, seeing people. And, and the use of oil paints is something I've always wanted to be able to use. You know, I never really had the patience to, to pursue. Yeah. Yeah, because a lot of your arts are process-driven art as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and I think that comes from from the background of, of painting, you know, illegally to a degree, skateboard graphics where it's screen printed, you know, the sort of process and, and necessity to, to finish and get done and get out. And that sort of has stuck with me to... to, to a large or lesser degree although patience is something i'm finding i have more of in my later years if you like as i get a little bit older patience seems to have have come or found me a little bit uh, only a little bit <laughs> um who's your favorite artist i really like um james Turrell or james Terrell. depends on how you want to pronounce it he is not what you'd expect me to like i guess because he's essentially a, a light installation artist but i've always found his work hugely inspirational um and very there's something amazing about the experience that you get and i, and I find that art is about an experience and you get that experience from when I, I certainly do that it's completely seeping through you and touching you so hit james Terrell. i love love his work um yeah. and then you know someone from today i really like tom Sachs. i really think he's sort of diy aesthetic that's sort of producing stuff from our culture um, but doing it in, a, in, a, in his way and his start, really, I'm enjoying that. And I got to say, I really love your new work as well. Really oh. into it, Tom. So, oh, thanks, man. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's always people out there that are like either carrying on doing their thing or have come from time. Um, and then people that, you know, it's nice to see sort of soldiering on with what they're doing and then sort of finding their feet and finding their their uh, their strengths. So yeah, 
I'll put you within that category. Oh, thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, what advice would you give your younger self? I think it would just be stick with it. You know, be don't lose your integrity. Stay focused, and, and you know that's something I I do pride myself on doing. But it would not. It'd be nice to have heard that way back and to know that it will make sense because there were for sure a lot of times when I was like, man, what the fuck am I doing? You know, how is this ever going to make sense? And am I just being a complete idiot? You know, and there's always those moments of self doubt that you have. You just, it's natural that you have that. And, and there's no rule book to art. There's no one you can phone up and be like, Hey, you know, what happens when I do this? Or how do I deal with this situation? Or this guy's trying to fuck me over. What do I do? You have to figure and navigate it yourself. So, it would have been nice to have just had a someone to just lean on your shoulder and be like, "Hey, it's all going to work out. Stick with it." Yeah, that would be that would be my advice cool. to my younger self. We still need to hear it from time to time, don't we? Yeah, it's you know, you it nothing really changes. You just sort of have you just have to sort of look back and know that your history has proven itself, and therefore you'll keep soldiering on. You know, but. Yeah, there's definitely times where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? You know, is this going to make sense? Is anybody going to follow this? You know, is this the right or the wrong thing? It's difficult. You know, it's difficult for sure. It's never an easy path being an artist. No, no. I always have to think back to times in my life and, um, you know, where, you know, there were times where I was flat broke and living in London, yeah. for instance, or other times where I was even, you know, sort of in, you know, held at gunpoint in South America or whatever and just like, oh, Got through that, so we can get through this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I kind of look at it as in like, well, how, what do I actually need to continue to make my art? And you don't really need very much, do you? You know, yeah. you. And I like to think that no matter what, I'll be able to do that and make mm. that happen. So, you know, if 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 all comes, if all the ship falls falls apart, I'll still be making my art. It just be in a you know in a smaller capacity. But no, I'm, I'm always trying to push myself forward. So I think that. It's also something that you need to to keep a check on as well. And that's just like keep pushing yourself to, mm. to do more, produce more. Definitely. And I, better, I, your, better yourself. Yeah. And I always think, like ask myself as well, like, like what's the worst worst case scenario? What's going to happen here? And it's like, oh, I'll have to go out and get a job. Oh, is that all? And yeah. It's like, yeah, but I don't want to do that. We're going to be all right. <laughs> that's exa- that, is, that is exactly it. I've come to the conclusion now that I'm, I'm sort of unemployable um, rather than... It's not self-employed, so yeah, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. But you know, like you say, the worst case scenario is, fuck it, I have to go and get a job, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that, though. <laughs> no, that's never, dude, that's never going to happen. How <laughs> depressed would you be? <laughs> oh, it'd be awful, dude. Yeah, I, I just know that I can be answering to someone now. Do you know that that I've yeah. gone so far down the line of doing what the fuck I like um, and being only answerable to myself, and I have a very rigid and strict work regime, but being told what time to be in even if i'm in at that time every day I, it's not going to work with me do you know what i mean and being told what to do every day yeah. not going to work with me so no that is never going to happen yeah i know i'm only three years into my art career and it's like it's ah oh, it fills me with dread the thought of going to get a job <laughs> exactly like, I'm, I'm yeah i don't know it might be honeymoon period for me or whatever but i just i love every day every minute in the studio no you're, you're yeah. good now dude i swear <laughs> uh, thanks um so, do you have a, a dream project you'd love to work on? Um, just large scale, you know, trying to push my work larger and more permanent. So, not, you know, I like really like I'm trying to get more public sculpture. That's really what I want to do. 
Um, but you know, I, I like you know, I've, I like growing motorbikes. I like building shit as well. So, you know, part of me is like this. Like, I'd like to build a plane. You know, paint a plane. I don't know stuff like that. You know, the stuff that's really like out there. Um, just keep experimenting. That's there's not really a dream project, but it's just working with with people that I really respect on projects that I'm that I feel really passionate about. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And um, where are you wanting to take your art career in the future? You know, more museum stuff I think is really relevant to to us to keep sort of to to really dig the roots down of what we've created um, and, and make them roots really deep. The more museum stuff we can get, the more connections to museums and, and pieces in collections in museums we can we can have, the better. So that's somewhat working with the establishment, which as long as we don't compromise the anti-establishment ideas of what we're, we're about is, is for me really important and something I really want to push harder in. Mm-hmm. I think for all of us, to be fair. Yeah. So yeah, more music, more museum shows, more pu- public and government backed pieces of work. Cause again, they sort of validate where we've come from into being part of which we already know is, is art history and very much a, a strong art movement. But the more we can sort of, cement that and nail that down the better mm-hmm. yeah and um do you have any uh future plans or projects on the go lots of stuff cooking up We've got you know i've been working on a, a new body of work for the last sort of i guess eight months now maybe a little bit more on and off which i've, I've yet to show it's sort of fairly finished in the studio um couple of projects that are, you know cooking up a couple of shows that are being offered but it's for me this year i had a really you know i've had a really busy fucking last i was gonna say last year but it's been like a really busy period of time and i just felt like i wanted to sort of produce the work without having a direct show attached to it because everything i've ever done has been like i have a show in six months i need to produce enough work for that show and i wanted to get to a point of where i'm like I'm just going to produce the work and then I'll pick the show to do it in rather than the other way around. So I can then choose the work that goes into it. Maybe not everything makes the cut because inevitably I'm looking to make 15 pieces to show 15 pieces. And that's not a position I really feel ever have ever felt really comfortable with. I'd like to have had a little, I've always wanted to have a little bit more luxury of time and, and that's what I'm going to give myself this year. So, you know, there's a project, a couple of projects in Tokyo. There's a project in Thailand, Thai, Thailand potentially, one in Taipei. Um, LA is calling again. You know, there's a project with a, a motorcycle company, which I'm really excited about. Um, there's lots of stuff bubbling around, um, some with some big companies, some with some small independents. And then, you know, just continue to do my own fuckery. Yeah. Finally, uh, where's the best place for people to see your art online? It's going to be my website, isn't it? Deface.co.uk or, you know, nowadays Instagram. I think Instagram's pretty much the, the don of, of visual for visual art, isn't it? If anybody visual, Instagram kills it. It's it's quick, it's easy, it's digestible, it's all there. Um, but, you know, I've got a book coming out in November and I still think, you know, there's something beautiful about paper and printed and the sort of long-term feeling that you get from producing a book. So yeah, my website, my Instagram account, Deface Official, and then find my book when it's out in some random shop somewhere. Yeah, that is the best place for people to see your art. 
holding it in yeah. their hands, turning the pages. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the best place to see it is actually... Oh, standing in front it, of you know, it, sorry. It's standing in front of it in the street, <laughs> isn't it, really? But, you know, you have to seek it out to find that. Um, depends on which city you're in. But, you know, we, we, you know, we travel the world, don't we? And we're privileged to do that and paint in some fucking incredible places. So there's enough of it out there. You know, I'm at, I think I'm at nearly 70 murals, um, which I think pretty much all of them still are still running to a lesser greater or lesser extent so they're out there oh, good um, stuff. public art pu- public art is the fucking thing that still inspires me and gives me a buzz yeah it's your own personal billboard as i keep that's saying it, to all my other guests exactly. dude that's it, it it's the you know the very early things that we started doing it's still true to this day it's like putting stuff up in the street is it's like it's, it's your billboard isn't it you know my website is my tv channel and that's what I thought when I first had a website, and that's what I thought when I started putting up my work in the early days. So, yeah, keep keep keeps those you know very basic ingredients. Mm, definitely. All right, Dface, thanks for uh, taking the time to sit down and have a chat. Pleasure. Thanks very much, Tom. Really appreciate it, dude. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Bench Talk. To view images of the guest's artwork, follow us on Instagram at bench underscore talk, or go to the website benchtalkpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes, subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud or Stitcher. If you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's.